you know, there's something about seeing a baby shoe in the wall that you're like, mm, I think that might be important. Welcome to episode nine of Magic Praxis. In this episode, we visit the studio of Becca Lowry. I'm Clarity Haynes, and this is Kate Hawes. Becca Lowry makes sculptural paintings carved from wood. Lowry studied at Smith College and lived in Africa before committing to pursuing art professionally. In this interview, we discuss her background as the child of a builder and a jeweler, why she decided not to go to art school, and ways in which objects can take on sacred and protective functions. We visited Becca in her studio in Branford, Connecticut. We just moved here a year ago. Oh. So there's been a lot of sort of commotion. I lost my dad a year and a half ago. Oh, wow. It just feels like it's been like thing after thing. Some yeah, really good and some really hard. Yeah. And so this is the first sort of batch of work that I've managed to cobble together since all that oh, sort of change. Wow. And so you must feel sort of like you're on the other side of something or in a different place than before. I don't. Yeah, I'm sort of new to this making art, taking art seriously for oh. myself. And so I'm learning about these. I talk to older, older artists in terms of like older right. in their career, further along in their careers. And, you know, they talk about slumps like, you know, that was like the eighth slump I had or whatever, you yeah. know, like. And this, so this, I think, was my first slump. Okay. You know, they look almost like big, colorful seashells on the wall. Mm. So they're almost like paintings and almost like painted sculptures but they're really just undeniably beautiful. I feel like they're also so, somewhat structural. Well, wood is structural, but architectural is what I mean. Like mm. I almost feel like I could see piercings like arches and, and repetitive and, patterns. Mm. Yeah, arches on the out, they're very colorful on the outside of a temple or something. Mm. Like there's some, I don't know, There are, people have said that before, that there are a lot of architectural references yeah. in them, which is not, not totally unconscious. I, I look at buildings a lot. It's like, I remember having this phase in my life, right? Be, not long before I started making art, I was living in Southern Africa for like nine months. I came back to the country and, you know, the sort of seeing something you know um, really well for the first time in oh, a long time. Yeah. The built environment in this country mm. is so like, in your face you get it you, you fly into jfk and you get onto a highway and it's just like highway and highway and highway and buildings and ugly just really ugly yeah. stuff i don't know for some reason that transition set off this period of time where i was sort of wandering around the world feeling like i wanted to build things which was a really as the child of a builder a really kind of a weird <laughs> like first experience for me like i really just i'd look at bridges and be like i want to build that yeah but have, you know i had no idea how you built anyway so yeah that was maybe that was like the seed of the that's interesting it's like making the world more hospitable to you or yeah something. i don't even know if i th i wasn't thinking about it in terms of like i'd make a prettier bridge oh, okay. or it was just like this urge to build It's like layers of plywood, right? Mm -hmm. Glued together. Yeah, those are those are some sort of you know freshies mm -hmm. started. 
So, yeah, so I, I laminate pieces of plywood together in sort of a rough estimation of where I'm going and then start carving into it. And so, yeah, they start out very blocky. And, and actually, I mean, these, these are sort of in chronological order. So the, the one on the right is the oldest, I think. Oh. And now that I'm looking at them all together, I'm like, wow, that, yeah, there's a lot of extra wood there that maybe doesn't need to be there. So. Have they gotten simpler, do you think? I'm trying. I, I got to a point where I was like, oh, I'm just, I think I'm forcing so much into, I don't know, I have mixed feelings about it. Sometimes I think too much is kind of fun. Then yeah, there's are a you too much, too much. No, I mean, not like I wouldn't describe myself that way. I think sometimes I have a hard time leaving space. So I'm trying to do that a little more, like let things just be a little bit quieter. But that, that urge to go in and decorate every tiny little inch yeah. is also just really fun and beautiful. Yeah. But yes, it's clear that you have that, you have <laughs> that urge. That you know? tendency, yeah. So yeah. I don't know where the sweet spot is. I'm still... Yeah. And the size of them is usually kind of, I don't know, I'm going to say like torso yeah, size. Yeah, torso size. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I read somewhere or heard you say something about you think of them as shields. Yeah, I think somebody else gave me that idea, but I co-opted <laughs> it. Because they are, they're sort of that size and shape. They are. They're like what you would think of as a shield that like a knight would hold in battle. Yeah. Yeah. From your vital organs could be yeah, protected. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And yet they're and not the these. most effective. This yeah. one has a big hole in the middle, so it's not... They're yeah, but you could also literal. hold it from there. Yeah, that's true. And I saw on Instagram you posted a picture of yourself actually holding one. Oh, yeah. yeah. I thought that was like a badass shape, and I was in a yeah. badass mood, so I was Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, that reminded me of a superhero stance, almost like a comic book kind of Yeah, totally. Uh, one of my uh, cousin's kids said, you know, via Facebook, this looks like such and such a, you know, a weapon from some oh, particular character. Oh, and I was like, yes. Oh, yeah, it's right. Yeah. Right. I think a lot about bravery... There's something a little confusing about bravery. Like bravery is about being aggressive, but I think in a lot of cases, the bravest thing to do is to do something really kind of gentle and vulnerable and expose yourself. I guess on some level, I'm thinking of these as like, if we could all have sort of a customized, you know, set of armor, what would it mm. look like? And Customized for the individual? Yeah, yeah. Like, so some people might need like, might need a hole in the center so that they can like let their heart beat really you know? right. <laughs> as cheesy as that sounds right, like, right right for some people that's what you really need for some people maybe you need like a little thicker skin so that you don't right. react to everything and like in this political climate i think a lot about my own bravery or lack of i was mm. thinking i was listening to your episode with nona faustine yeah that nona faustine yeah and just thinking about the courage that it would take to do i mean that's just something that's unfathomable fathomable mm -hmm. for me the bravery on on so many levels just like physically and emotionally and mm -hmm. so on and i think in this political climate i think a lot about i should be doing something i feel a lot of guilt about not like not doing more you know, mm -hmm. or anything on some, you know, on some level. You know, we are all getting enraged and um, sad and yeah. frustrated that we could be ready yeah. to take such huge steps backwards. Yeah. And like, right. you know, yeah, some I days all I can do is do this and or mm -hmm. go, go to work or, yeah. yeah. I don't know, that's an unre it's an unresolved angst and um, yeah. hopefully it'll turn into a re something mm -hmm. more... 
forceful. But yeah, but so I think a lot and I think about the same kind of bravery that it takes to say, yeah, this like this thing really matters. Um, and I'm going to speak up about it and I'm going to whatever it is, take action in some way. I feel like is the same kind of bravery that sometimes is required in I think, you know, all families are different, but I think sometimes like my a lot of my family they don't really talk a lot. There's a lot that's unspoken and a lot I had a lot of, you know, I'm thinking about my my dad. Um I had a lot of I knew he loved me. You know, he was very um good at communicating love non-verbally and um so there was never, there's not doubt about that. But sometimes I wish I had, you know, I, like I don't, I feel like he's gone and I don't know anything about him, you know. So, but I think that's a, the same kind of bravery is required to say, you know what, like it's not in our family culture to say, to ask you a question yeah. about yourself, mm -hmm. but I'm going to do it anyway because it's right. what I feel yeah. like doing. Right, right, right. Sometimes it's harder to do it with our parents. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's where it all started. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. right. I was going to ask you if, like, what kind of bravery it takes to make art. Mm. You know, it's like putting yourself out there. It's, you know, mm. saying something. And has that been an easy thing for you? or? I, yeah, it's definitely been a transition. I mean, I went from a desk job to making art and wanting people to look at it. And there's definitely something really scary about that. So you just started making things out of the blue because you didn't go to art school. Yeah, I didn't go to art school. I always, I always liked making, I always made stuff. And I, I only remembered recently that when I was applying to colleges, um, I really had to think hard about whether I wanted to go to art, apply to art schools oh, or not. Okay. And that, I, I don't, for some reason I had forgotten about that fact, but, and I made a really conscious decision not to, because it just seemed like a stupid idea. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. for all the reasons you might suspect. And my parents both worked for themselves all my life and it just seemed hard. And yeah. I, I think I decided yeah. I want a paycheck. I want somebody else to pay me to do something. Right. And then here I, you know, right. here I am. Um, but I don't think that was the wrong decision. I think, yeah. you know, at least I learned a skill that I can use to have part-time yeah. part work. And now I appreciate when I'm in here, I'm like, this is, you know, yeah. this is the best. And what did your parents do? So my mother was, until recently, she, she now has a, um, a desk job um, with health benefits and stuff like wow. that. Um, but that was only, I don't know, five or six years ago. So most, like all of my childhood, she was a jeweler and my dad was a carpenter, a builder. Well, that really makes sense, looking at these, a builder and a jeweler, because these are intricate. Yeah, yeah. Like jewelry like in a way. Jewelry on top. When I look at them after I'm done, I often think, wow, that's really frilly for somebody like right. me who doesn't feel very connected to frills. Like they right. often wind up being quite frilly. Which I'm, I'm, you know, happy yeah. with, but it always surprises me that they yeah. end up so sort of curvilinear. Yeah, like there's no rectilinear moment anywhere right. on any of them. Yeah, I mean, it's like you get to express all sides of yourself when you make yeah. art. Yeah, you know? it's true. Yeah. You get to express the like rough and tumble, like power tool, you know, wielding side. Yeah. <laughs> as well as, you know, the other. We'll return to our conversation with Becca Lowry in a moment. You're listening to Magic Praxis, a podcast in which artists talk to artists in their studios. 
We appreciate your listening. And if you like what you hear, we hope you will rate and review us on iTunes so we can continue to grow our audience. And now back to our studio visit. This is sort of, I feel like, sculpture by brute force sometimes. I, like, I don't feel like I have those techniques. Like, I don't know how to do a dovetail joint. You know, yeah. I think if I had some more of the traditional techniques of wood uh, carving or furniture making, or I might bring something else interesting into it, you know, join different kinds of joinery. Take away something too, I yeah. think, because as someone who has that kind of training, it's harder to loosen up mm. and you know take mm. a grinder and just like go, go crazy. Yeah, because <laughs> of that, yeah. you know, furniture making. It's like you start with like taking a a piece of rough lumber and making it flat. The flatness. Mm-hmm is like oh, you know, it's inherent paramount. to the yeah, pro- you, process, yeah. right? And then you, you joint an edge, and then right. that's right, the edge is straight, and right. then you rip it on the side. And everything, <laughs> everything basically is rectilinear. Yeah. You know, I mean, there is furniture that is sculptural, but you start but from even, the yeah. point. You're starting and, yeah. from straight lines, yeah. parallel right. surfaces. So what yeah. you're doing is completely different and much more free and yeah. much more intuitive. and. Yeah. It's like, what did you say, carving by brute force? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure why I said that. Yeah, but yeah because you're just, using power tools, right? Yeah. Mostly a and grinder. The, yeah, the um, grinder with the saber tooth. Have you seen those? Yeah. Like, it's like see, a, It looks like a sea urchin. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how tools determine the shape of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, like all those curves are yeah. exactly the, that's the sort of limit of, yeah. actually, I have a few more options now, so I can do more things. I can get tighter curves and... Right. But yeah, it's totally, they, like I get a and, new tool and things totally shift. Right. So I think that's interesting because like you can see kind of roughness and it looks a lot more sketchy. You're not laying out careful lines and then chipping into the wood, carving down. You're, yeah, no. you're just kind of following where it leads you. Do you? How much do you lay out? Like, do you pencil out some of the designs? You draw them out before, or a little bit. I'll generally have a rough idea of where I want to go, mm-hmm. and I'll sketch that out, and then. But then, as I build and carve, it tends to need alteration that I'm not sort of expecting. Like something's just not working, something's yeah. too long or the angle's too acute or whatever. And so I'll go back and cut things apart and stick things back together. And, and all, a lot of them develop, like um, this one in the middle developed as four different pieces that then wind up. So wow. throughout so the process the of- four pieces. Oh, yeah, okay. and I have them, they're like screwed together as I'm mm-hmm. working on it. And then, but in order to get sort of behind and, some oh, of the more really intimate cool. things, I have to sort of right. take them apart and right. carve from the back or whatever. And you've come up with this process on your own where I think it's kind of different from a lot of wood carving where traditionally you'd make your design and right. be like, so I need a block this big. You know, people yeah. have to plan it out and then go source the wood, yeah. a solid piece of wood that's that size. Right, and then what happens if something breaks off? And then carve into it, right. And you have all this like short grain, long grain issues to think about. Like you couldn't get those little 
you know, skinny, sometimes yeah. if it gets too skinny, yeah, you'd run That's into That's what's trouble. amazing about this plywood. I mean, as much yeah. as I'd love to be so carving in solid that wood, problem. but it's, yeah. Yeah, it's so much easier. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, you can really get very thin with this stuff, which is, I'm, I'm just really starting cool. to learn that. Yeah, because plywood is so strong. It's all like cross laminated. It does look really smooth in places like sanded. Yeah, do you, you do some sanding. Yeah, I, yeah, I sand it, but it's like eighty. With, yeah, with by hand. Yeah. I I sort of like that point in a piece. I like I sit down with it and I'm like, okay, yeah. this is how you're gonna be, and I just kind of smooth it out. And and how long is the whole process so from start to finish? Yeah, um, I usually have like two or three going at a time, and I'll probably make over the course of a year ten or so of that mm -hmm. size. Okay, I'd say like a month per more or less. Right. Mm -hmm. What got you um, interested in adding the weaving? You have these like areas where you've added string and also wire yeah, weavings. Wire. I think it was probably like a museum trip. I went and saw some weaving uh -huh. and I was like, oh, yeah. that's cool. Gotta do some of that. I need yeah. to do some of yeah. that. I feel like Sheila Hicks would approve because like, yeah. she was, yeah. I loved just this kind of like, I think Sheila Hicks is, might loom. have been the inspiration for the weaving in a oh, way. Cool. Like, uh -huh. I don't know, but. Yeah, like this kind of creative resourcefulness about what you can weave on. Mm -hmm. I get excited when young people get into whatever, weaving or furniture like making or yeah, just with like their knowing hands. how to use tools yeah. to make stuff. Yeah. That seems like something that needs to be preserved. When I go to museums, I tend to go into like the Oceania wing, uh -huh. you know, and just like hang out with the wood sculpture. I mean, that, yeah. yeah, I guess you call that craft. It's sort of protective arts, like shields, masks. What does that mean to you, protective arts? Well, it's just like, first of all, it's in every culture has some history of shield making. You see the same kind of generally mm -hmm. same kind of form, very different decorative aesthetic, but it's sort of need to figure out some way of protecting ourselves. And, you know, in some ways, maybe it was like sort of the earliest canvas because you have this thing that's supposed to be protective, but then you can add decoration on top of, I don't know who, you know, who that's was the first person to be like, let's, you know, let's right. put some gems on here or um, right. carve into it. And, you know, a lot of that, the decoration was originally intended to be either like, powerful in terms like spiritually powerful like they put mm -hmm. um human hair on it from a previous wow. conquest or something like that so it's like it's supposed to cast a spell on the enemy or mm -hmm. the, it, there's something about the intricacy and the amount of work you can tell went into something yeah. like that that is just so like yeah jazzes mm -hmm. me up yeah and that's what your work has for sure like it just you look at any one part and you're like Wow, and then the part next to it too, and then oh my god, you know, there's so many details, and each one is like lovingly like painted, and you know, these days that is just not the way most things are made. Right? You know, yeah, no, that a lot of that is yeah. is getting lost, and that makes me sad. I mean, if you go into our house, all of our furniture is like old, and yeah. you know, I yeah, I like I I appreciate that hand handmade element to stuff. So I was going to ask you about the whole issue of like cultural appropriation. If you've mm. thought about that, like I do think about yeah. that. 
Yeah. An interesting article just came out in Art Forum. Oh, yeah? There was a roundtable on the idea of cultural appropriation. I try not to use very few instances where I've overtly copied. I made one, like, work on paper that was very directly inspired by a Navajo rug. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's such a cool pattern I couldn't resist. But there are certain patterns that are so universal that I feel like I'm free to, you know, triangles are not any, don't belong to anybody. If it's sort of a classical, like, white European kind of thing, mm-hmm. I feel, like, okay with taking it. Right. I, so I do, I think that's where a lot of the arches and stuff come from. Right, right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, to some degree, all, we all sort of, that's what art is. We're sort yeah, of borrowing and exactly. stealing from each other. But I, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I guess if I got to a point where I really felt inspired to do something, you know, I would make overt reference to that. You know, just make right. it clear that that's where that idea came from. I see from. what you're saying, right. Like in some way crediting it or something. Yeah, because yeah. I don't think yeah. there's anything wrong with that. But I right. think... You don't want to be, what is it, Abercrombie and Fitch or whoever, like, uh, anthropology is always, like, stealing. Like, yeah, right. It's just gross. And, right. But that's, you know, then they make a ton of money off of it. Right. And it's just, like, right, there's all right. kinds of problems with it. It sounds like you have something of a philosophy that everyone has a right to kind of draw from their own tradition, but then it gets questionable for reasons of, like, power dynamics when you draw yeah. from other traditions that aren't your own ethnic or cultural heritage. Yeah, I think the power di- yeah. the power dynamic is really important. It depends yeah. on who's doing what. Right, right, what exactly. Reason. Yeah, and I mean, American aesthetic traditions are so much a um, conglomeration of yeah. other yeah. traditions. Yeah. And, like we were thinking about um, Pennsylvania Dutch. The hex signs. The hex signs. Oh, where do they sort come of from? painting on wood. Have you seen them? They're hex signs. I spent a lot of time in Philadelphia, so yeah. but in the countryside in mostly in Pennsylvania, you see on people's garages or in front of their houses on trees, there are these circular pieces of wood Mm. painted Mm. with with these mandala-like patterns that are Pennsylvania Dutch patterns, and they're to ward off evil. Interesting. And where do they come? Did they come from their own? No, I guess the Pennsylvania Dutch uh, cultural legacy comes from, I think, Germany. Germany. Yeah, so it's... But they kind of independently grew... I mean, they didn't... Oh, like, is it a specifically American tradition rather than... I don't know, actually. I don't know the history of it. So that's interesting. But many things about your work Mm. reminds me of them. Not so much visually, but just the whole idea of this, like, object to ward off evil that's very intricately patterned. Yeah. We found when we were moving into this house, we took apart some of the kitchen, and we found a glass bottle with, I think it was hair in it. Do you know about this? No. Uh -uh. So, and a baby shoe in the wall. And... You know, there's something about seeing a baby shoe in the wall that you're like, mm, I think that might be important. You know, it's the glass jar with the hair. I could have thought, like, I could have imagined somebody building, could have just put it, you know, whatever. Yeah. But the the baby shoe in the wall wow. gave me pause, yeah. and and somebody wound up. Um, I think the painter that we were uh, that we hired. Um, knew about this and looked it up and sent us this article about a tradition of um, putting various protective objects in, burying them in the walls. Wow. So when we read that, I, we both got like shivers reading oh this article. And so we, you know, we made sure to stick them back in the new wall. But yeah. I think it was supposed to be for fertility. You know, one was for sort okay. of fertility and the other was to ward off evil or something so that's really fascinating it's that kind of stuff i you know right. i sort of half believe in it you know right i was gonna Enough ask you to put it back literally. in the wall <laughs> right right exactly like <laughs> i'm not gonna mess rules. with that like yeah. there's something there's some force here that may need to be appeased <laughs> yes because in your statement we really loved your statement about how you feel like these objects are um 
little capsules of protection or empowerment or what, that you're sending out into the world. Hmm. And I was, and I thought, you know, it could very easily be true that she means that literally, hmm. you know, like there's a certain amount of spiritual belief, you know, in most people. Right. And it's nice to have a sense of per- spiritual purpose, I guess, if, if you have spiritual ideas with your work and what you're, you're putting yeah. your energy into making and what that's going to do in the world. So in terms of like, what can I do? If you literally believe <laughs> these <laughs> objects are going out there to protect to and protect empower people. people, then you're doing a great job. But, you know, I know what you mean when you say I half believe, you know. Yeah, well, that's but, but on some deeper level, you may 100% believe. I don't know how much I believe if it's 50% or closer to 100%. Right. Um, but there's definitely something. But I think it. I think it comes from wanting to feel like we have purpose in life. And yeah. If I'm just making these like wood things and decorating them, that's not. That doesn't sound very purposeful. But if I believe, if I right. But if that belief is put into it, and then it it's held there, yeah. and then the object itself brings energy, comfort, etc., and perhaps a feeling of protection to others, then it is real, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. You know. It could be, and they do have a power. You can't. I mean, that this would be a very different experience sitting here if, if those things weren't on the wall. Yeah, we'd just you know? be sitting in a garage. We'd just be sitting in an empty garage <laughs> with nothing to look at. <laughs> with nothing, look with at nothing to look at. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever feel that about them as you're making them? Like it's becoming a thing. It's becoming a thing that has sort of this character and embodiment. I've had the experience of seeing them in a new place, like if I see them in a gallery displayed or something, they all of a sudden seem kind of strange, like um, strangers to me, like I haven't been hanging out with them and there they are <laughs> right. like waiting for me on the other side. Right. But I do, I feel they have character. Yeah. And there are some pieces that I, at the end of the, I feel like I'm on a good path if at the end of the day I want to take it home with me, you know, kind of like put it under my wing and take it home with me. This episode of Magic Praxis was mixed by John Bender, who also does our music. Sign up for future episodes on iTunes or at magicpraxis.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time. 